I myself think that uh, um, you know some of the wakes and funerals in, in the city are very lonely affairs uh, in comparison to what goes on in the country because it is a time of grief and the number of people who come around you know they do help for the, the immediate time particularly when the person has a big loss to to keep the pe- people's minds away from the from the from the uh, from the terrible grief that they have just suffered and the loneliest uh, Uh, the loneliest times in my life was to to attend funerals of of people here in Dublin, where there were only a few people, half a dozen people, at the chapel, and possibly the same amount at the, at, at the graveyard. It's instilled in you from childhood that if a neighbour dies, it's only right and proper that you should pay your respects and call to the house and stay a few hours, discuss, tell stories through the night if you wish to stay there and at the same time probably have a drop of the hard stuff to keep you awake it's it's part and parcel of the life and my part of the country all the time I'm glad to say I had a funeral this morning now a local old woman she died and well I'm sure there was at least 70 or 80 cars there and they all go into the grave and they all stand around there until the grave diggers are finished with the grave the priest will remain there and they still give a lot of respect to their dead kind of man the nature of the human being ensures that we will continue to die and be buried Yet we'll never hear our own funeral bell. Now will we have to worry about our own funeral bill? At the same time, our death will cause quite an amount of stress, grief and loneliness when it does happen. Prevailing custom and place will decide what kind of ceremonies will surround our departure. The pomp and splendour for our leaders, the bands and the escorts, the gun carriage and the flags draped in black, the volleys and the funeral oration and then the quieter, mournful, but dignified ceremony for the most of us. Whatever the arrangements for the occasion, they can be carried out efficiently, effectively, and with a minimum of fuss by the modern funeral director or undertaker. Well, there are many steps one can take. The most immediate would be, if the person has died at home, that we would send a nurse and a habit, or indeed a shroud, if required. We'd also send candlesticks and... Uh, the nurse to lay out the, the body. Our immediate plan then would be to arrange for newspaper notices to appear, and this can be done by uh, telephoning the family and getting the basic requirements from them. We would then draft out the notice, contact the church just to verify the times, and then insert the actual notice in the newspapers. Uh, there's not a lot more we can do if somebody dies at night until the following morning when the family come down to us so we indeed can call to them to make the actual arrangements with regard to transport and that type of thing. We would have to ascertain if there's a family grave in existence. If there isn't, we would ask the family where they would like us to purchase one and we would go ahead and buy a grave in their name. Then we would suggest they come down to us and select a coffin and uh, discuss the question of transport, if required. Cars to collect various members of the family, bring them to the hospital, to the church, or if the removal is taking place from our 
private mortuary here in Fairview. We would then discuss the question of flowers. Some families are very, very keen on flowers. Some families don't like them. We would also discuss the question of gratuities, and that involves looking after various aspects of uh, church offering, that type of thing, things which families wouldn't think of because they're under great stress at the time. And we would like to think that we can arrange all that for them. These services provided by people like John Kerwin are typical of what can be expected from the undertaker of today. Services that certainly relieve many of the pressures from relatives at a time when it's not easy to cope. The private mortuary, the funeral parlour or the funeral home is something comparatively new in this country. Indeed, it's almost confined to the larger cities just now, but its use is gradually being accepted although there are many who would frown upon the idea of having their dead relatives removed from the privacy of the home to any place except the church or cemetery, even for the short time involved before burial. Well, we offer the private mortuary uh, for very, very many reasons. Perhaps the most obvious would be if a person dies at home and there are children in the house, in many, many cases it's desirable for the body to be removed because it can be quite a harrowing experience for families who uh, experience their first death at home. And we find that people are very, very grateful for this service. So we also offer it, um, we would suggest it to certain people, when a relative or a friend dies in hospital, if they would wish, we can take the body down to our private mortuary. And this means they would have the privacy of a room where they can call and pay their last respects, which they find a lot easier to do rather than call to perhaps a busy centre city hospital where well, where the action is great indeed and you can imagine the scene in a mortuary when there are several deceased persons there and several families calling it can well it can be upsetting and we find that people are grateful for the use of this private mortuary and uh, I think it's fair to say that private mortuaries or funeral homes as some people refer to them are desirable and are very much on the increase. He didn't die in his home. And uh, I thought that, uh, well, he left home and that was it. And uh, I think that funeral parlours are a very dignified way of letting the relations, friends and other people that wish to come and pay their respects to the dead and they don't disturb the house or disturb the people who are in the house. And... uh, It didn't occur to me ever to do anything else. My husband died so suddenly and all this happened within a half an hour and my decision was just that. A bereaved wife who had a decision to make when she got an urgent call to her husband's office and found that he had died suddenly. Frank Jennings is another undertaker who feels that the funeral home has many advantages for city people who live in crowded conditions where facilities for catering for callers and sympathisers are difficult to arrange. It's necessary today because, first of all, people have, in my opinion, have a more enlightened attitude towards death. They, uh, first of all, this business of keeping bodies in houses over a particular length of time is, uh, first of all, it's not very hygienic, but apart from that, it's very trying on the relatives. So we try to fulfil a function here by making a place available where they can bring their their loved ones or their relatives before they have the burial itself. Also where you have these high-rise flats and small modern houses 
that don't lend themselves to keeping coffins or keeping bodies over any length of time, again, the mortuary has a use. Now, when you bring the, the body in here to this mortuary, is it already in a coffin? Uh, we use a temporary coffin, a removal shell, we call it. And that's either brought from a hospital or a private house. And then our people then remove the remains or change the remains into a permanent coffin or the coffin that's going to be used for the funeral and dress them and they, they're left here so their relatives can visit or stay with them for over the period. You place it here now? We place it here. Here, the, As you can see here, there are two. These doors slide across and make two mortuaries, and we have two then upstairs. And there are separate doors in for each family. And you see across the, across the other side there, there's an embalming room. Now, embalming is not a word we like using too often because, it, first of all, we don't like putting people to the expense of embalming. It's not necessary in the normal way. But the airlines insist upon it if you're sending bodies abroad. And uh, it's also necessary where there's a delay in burial. House, private, funeral homes. Funerals that are small and very personal. These are things not readily understood by the countryman, because in rural Ireland there is still a great survival of the traditional funeral, where everyone from miles around will come to pay their last respects to someone they were closely associated with, or indeed that they scarcely knew at all. Eamon Kelly, like many countrymen, has witnessed this transition and has grown philosophical about it. I myself think that, uh, um, you know, some of the wakes and funerals in, in the city are very lonely affairs uh, in comparison to what goes on in the country, because it is a time of grief, and the number of people who come around, you know, they do help for the, the immediate time, particularly when the person has a big loss, to, to keep the pe- people's minds away from the... From the, from the uh, from the terrible grief that I have just suffered, and the loneliest, uh, uh, the loneliest times in my life was to to attend funerals of, of people here in Dublin, where there were only a few people, half a dozen people, at the chapel, and possibly the same amount at the, at, at the graveyard. Whereas in similar circumstances in Galway or Kerry or anywhere, there will be quite a lot of people about. Maybe it is because of it's a big centre of population that if you had the same custom as there is in the country, you know that uh, not alone would the would the house be filled, but possibly the field in front of the house would be filled as well with people, and they would all have to get a drink to make it far more expensive. I don't, I don't, uh, I, I believe that uh, funeral parlours are becoming, uh, uh, you know, um, are becoming popular in some parts of Ireland at the present time. And um, I, I remember in New York going to some wakes at a funeral parlour, and they are rather terrible affairs, I think. Although the Irish uh, give them their due, they do uh, tend to make the event at the f- funeral parlour uh, appear much like as if it were at home, in the room at home, you know. They, they come and they sit and they stay there for, for, for most part of the night. But uh, Michael Walsh, an undertaker in South Connemara, cannot see the people in the western region adopting any change in funeral procedure that would move away from the strong tradition of keeping consoling vigil with relatives of the deceased in their home. Uh, It's foreign to Ireland anyway. It's an American way of life. It shouldn't happen in Ireland. Because the Connemara people are still very good-natured. and uh, I mean... Uh, the bereaved people now would take it as, a, as, a, as a, an insult to them if all the neighbours didn't come and sympathise with them. 
uh, and I hope it remains like that in Connemara. Uh, they think it's most disrespectful to bury your to bury your person without a wick. But the attitude in places like Kerry, according to Michael Begley, are that the wishes of the relatives should be respected, and that whether they have open house or house private should be an entirely personal decision. Any person that keeps a, a, a parent in the in the house and wakes him probably one night, they wouldn't wake him two nights. That uh, I think these people are entitled to their views, and I think they're doing it out of respect for the dead more than anything else. And that's the way I feel on that particular matter. mind looking at him in that coffin and nobody minded looking at him because he looked so natural and so much himself. The suit and collar and tie just as he had left the home that morning to go to his office. And um, let me see now then another thing about the funeral parlour is you see that all everybody can go there and they have this book that all these uh, people who call can sign and the uh, Relatives and that can realise that so many people have come and have paid their respects. Uh, there were two full days practically and people were coming all the time. And then when um, the remains were being removed to the church, they had a microphone there and the priest was able to give out the prayers. And when there were hundreds of people in a place like that, it was very clear and everybody was able to give the responses and everything, which was very nice. And then... Um, they all left the funeral parlour and I was asked to stay behind to, uh, I presumably, to see the coffin being closed, which, of course, I didn't look at. Funeral homes, or funeral parlours, as they are called in America, have reached a high state of development in that country, and nothing is spared to make the dead resemble the living, the deceased very often reclining in chairs and soothing music filling the background. Our funeral homes are plain but dignified by comparison. As you can see, we have, we have a number of these lights. We can turn these lights up and down. And uh, we don't think you should, you know, have spotlights on showing a particular thing. We think it should be well lit, first of all. As you can see, ours is very functional. I understand some of them are much more ornate. But, again, this is questionable, in my opinion, whether it's the thing to offer people. We're all learning, I would say, here. Possibly at some time we'll have to change and make it much more ornate, but we think it serves its purpose here as it is. Our mortuaries are built here about six years, but even some people still have reservations about it. And uh, I think when they see that it's not a gimmick and that it's actually a service that we're providing... They're, they're happier about it, but they're very frightened of this business, I think, of exploiting. And I feel a lot of the Americans' way of death is exploitation, you know. If at a time of bereavement a city home becomes a house strictly private, that does not mean that the members of the bereaved family are unsociable, unfriendly or off-putting. It's just a reflection of urban life where so many people live very private lives and where people have never really become involved with one another in ordinary day-to-day -day living anyway. By contrast, the rural communities have always been so closely knit that the death of any member caused a sense of loss to all the people in the district. 
and they felt it their duty to call to the home of the relatives with words of sympathy and consolation. It's the amazing thing that I remember in my young days was how quickly the news spread after a person had died. He was barely laid out and ready when the people started pouring in, coming into the wake with condolences. And... Um, the way that the, the room was laid out with the, the fresh linen, uh, starch linen sheets put on the bed and they arranged them at the top of the bed and, and inside by the wall and at the other side. And then it was surrounded by uh, candlesticks, uh, <coughs> you know, brass candlesticks, a of light crucifixes and that kind of thing. The habit was very important. Uh, the old people used to have the habit in the house uh, in preparation for the event. And... Um, um, uh, people in places where there's a Franciscan friary who are in the third order uh, are given uh, a St. Francis uh, habit and uh, they are laid out on that and are said to look very well in it. You know, uh, they look a step above uh, the people who just get the ordinary habit which was bought in the shop and they tell the story too of um, uh, two brothers who went in buying a habit for uh, their father who had uh, died and they were fingering the material and uh, one of the brothers was inclined to, to buy the cheaper one, you see, after all, what was it for? And the other brother said, no, last year it was absolute fruit in a week. But um, the uh, uh, recently I have heard you know, the people get uh, laid out in, in, in their wedding suits or in, in ordinary clothes and in the old days that would be thought an, an absolute sacrilege because uh, you wouldn't dress up a corpse as if you were going to go to a dance or something. You know, the, the, the idea of the habit which looked like a, um, um, a religious dress or a monk's habit was, was in keeping with the place they expected him to go to, you know. Um, in the wake room itself, um, the women always sat in the wake room and the near relations, and the men would sit in the kitchen and the other rooms, the back kitchens were there where the drink was flowing. In some places it wasn't uh, thought respectful to have too much drink in the room, or in, in the presence of the corpse. Uh, that would be in the back kitchen or in the kitchen or in another part, another part of the house. Um, the uh, people kept coming and going all night. There was, uh, uh, in the wake house there would be tea, you know, and uh, uh, be a bottle of porter, a couple of barrels of it. As a matter of fact, when the whole thing was all over the day of the funeral, um, the, the man of the house would, would uh, line up the barrels outside of the gable, you know, and um, people going the road could see a long line of barrels, maybe 10 or 12, you know, they would remark that he killed well according to the number of barrels that were to be seen at the gable of the house. <laughs> And wakes are still very much a part of the funeral in rural Ireland, though modified somewhat for the last 10 or 15 years. Before that, you know, they used to mourn the dead for, oh, three or four days and drink poutine all night long and all day. Well, that has died out now, or more or less died out. They still supply a lot of booze for their wakes in Connemara. It's a very costly thing to have a death in your family in Connemara because the booze costs a hell of a lot more than the, the, the coffin or the hearse or what goes with it. Funeral offerings are still taken up in some parts of the country. Though the custom has almost died out now, and at the time when funerals took place directly to the cemetery without going to the church, the money was collected at the house of the deceased. Oh, I remember it distinctly. There about, uh, it was our last, uh, uh, the previous parish priest, Father Morden, that brought in the new rule that the remains would have to go to the church for a night. 
they'd wake the remains in the church in at home one night and the second night would be in the church. Well now before that the he was the person was waked for two two days and two nights and the third day the funeral took place and the people of the house put a table outside the door and uh, you paid altar money at the table. But this uh, was not this was at the house and not in the this church. was at the oh no, it couldn't be in the church. And uh, you went up to the table and you paid your shilling or two shillings and one of the relatives passed you a, a glass of poutine. And I uh, that altar went on until the cake of poutine, it was five or six or ten gallons of poutine was all drank. And then the remains would be taken to the grave and buried. Nowadays the idea of playing games as part of the ceremonial of honouring the dead is considered shocking. But playing games at wakes was common practice in Ireland in the past. Whether the idea was to distract the relatives or to pass the long hours is uncertain, or maybe simply to celebrate the passage of a friend from this world to a better one. There's a long series of condemnation by the Church going back over the last 300 years of what were deemed unchristian practices at wakes. Lewd songs, excessive drinking, obscene games, particularly a kind of kissing game called Fromso Framso, or Klasestolin. But the wake still survives, even if it is a solemn kind of affair, and its purpose is to pray for the dead and to sympathise with the relations of the dead person. It's instilled in you from childhood that if a neighbour dies, it's only right and proper that you should pay your respects and call to the house and stay a few hours, discuss, tell stories through the night if you wish to stay there and at the same time probably have a drop of the hard stuff to keep you awake. But it's, it's part and parcel of the life in my part of the country all the time, I'm glad to say. Okay, I think anybody that goes to wake, they either know the person personally or know someone connected with the family personally and they're only paying their respects. That's my opinion in here and that they share the sorrow with relatives. Yet, are the callers and sympathisers always sincere? Or do some of them just come out of curiosity? Questions like these naturally raise doubts in some people's minds. I feel about House Private is that the people who will come, an awful lot of the people who will come, will be true friends and true relations. But I always felt, and I still feel, and indeed... I know now that there are certain people come just make a habit of doing that kind of thing it doesn't matter to them whether it is a friend or not, it's an acquaintance and I did notice a certain people that came and I thought that they stayed too long even though I suppose I shouldn't notice these things but I did notice that and I thought that um, well when I had it house private the next day the people who came were the people that I wanted to see and that my husband would have liked to see and he would have liked to see these people having his hospitality you know getting hospitality in his house whether he was there or not because he was a very hospitable person Undertakers provided 24-hour service over seven days a week. 
They never ask for any payment in advance, nor do they question a family's capacity to meet the funeral expenses. But Irish people are superstitious about paying funeral bills. Maybe that's why undertakers don't have many unpaid debts. Rising costs of petrol, timber, plots in cemeteries, and whether you want a grave near the O'Connell Monument in Glasnevin are all factors which decide the cost of burial at any given time. Funerals vary so much. I would say between two and three hundred pounds. And the reason for that great variance is probably centred on two or three points. The first one would be the grave. In some cases there is a family grave, so to reopen a grave could cost you ten or twenty pounds. But if you wanted to buy an expensive grave, uh, you could pay up to 150 pounds. An expensive grave uh, would be one near the main gates of a cemetery and on a main walk. Another reason for the great variance uh, of two to three hundred pounds would be the actual selection of a coffin. We offer coffins from fifty-nine pounds to one hundred and fifty pounds. And again, would be uh, another deciding factor would be the number of cars used in a funeral, the number of flowers, the number of death notices. It's a very, very hard question to answer. We can offer funerals considerably less than two hundred pounds, considerably less, and do uh, where it's required. Well, you mentioned there that if somebody rings you up and says there's a death in the family, they haven't got a grave and that. Well, how can you get one so quickly? Well, it's quite a simple process. We just ring the various cemetery, or the cemetery selected rather by the family, book the grave in the name of the person who is to be the owner of that particular plot, and within 24 hours that grave is ready. It's quite a simple process. And uh, roughly how much does the grave cost? Well, they vary. Um, and what's the cheapest one to get? Well, um, sadly enough, in this age of affluence, there are still graves referred to as pauper's graves, and um, for as little as two or three pounds one can purchase a grave for a person who has no money. Uh, one of the great drawbacks to this grave is that they can never erect a headstone. It's, it's for all the world like a communal plot, so you can have a grave you wish from two or three quid up to 150 pounds, perhaps even more if you're talking about a vault. But the average grave, I'd say about 40 to 50 pounds. And again, they're going up as everything else is. It wasn't uncommon for people in the country to provide homemade coffins. And this was particularly true in South Connemara, where gradually the boot of a large car replaced the cart as a kind of hearse. I I was the first person, I think, that ever sold a a made coffin. Before that, they used to go to the hardware shops and buy the timber and some local fellow would make the coffin. A very crude affair indeed. But uh, I, remember, I remember once, not so long ago, this old grand old lady died and uh, her son was living with him. Her son, we used to call him Johann Strauss because he used to play the fiddle. But uh, I'll have to tell this in Irish because you can translate it, I think. It would be lost if it were translated. But Nurukayu uh, Wahid in the course of the father's day, a guitar, Augustus, by dad, awaken, Kahatu Kango, Hundri, Bui, Waiko, Huerwama. When ye quit him, then Michael, Gohameshir, Michael Hundri, and Fargriol, Yehemer Clarahi, with Michael Hamish, a hundred. Out of Gapinship, good in, 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 good in
Their hearses drawn by horses bedecked with ornamental plumage belong to the past now, although the custom survived in parts of Kerry until a fairly short time ago. Horse-drawn hearse is gone. The motor hearse is taken over. But we had horse-drawn hearse up to about seven years ago. And we probably would still have it. I mean, for virtue of the fact that the man who had the hearse he also provides another service. He probably takes stones or mortar or, or rubbish or garbage to the dumps. And when the tractor came in, of course, that finished that side of it, and it was only economic to keep the horse. It was a wonderful sight to see the two horses under the hearse. I think myself it was much more in keeping with a funeral than the, the modern streamlined job now. In towns and cities, the funeral undertaker looks after all the arrangements, but in the country, it's customary that friends or relatives of the dead person would dig the grave. The grave was, uh, the grave was dug by um, some friends of the, of the family, uh, neighbours or relations. And if the, the funeral was on Monday, well, the funeral was on Monday, they wouldn't dig a, a grave on Monday. It, they would go there on Sunday evening and, and do the digging. And... Um, <coughs> It was considered an honour to be picked, you know, to go and dig the grave for somebody that, that you knew. And they would set out early in the morning on bicycles with um, spades and shovels and whatever they wanted. And then they had to take some knowledgeable person with them to pick the grave, you know, because you could make a mistake quite easily. And uh, a family grave, as it was called, usually had, uh, had in the plot maybe three or four or five, maybe three or four graves, a place of four graves. So, you, you know, he, he would have be able to select the grave where the person was buried longest. It wouldn't do to, to start digging up where somebody had been buried maybe 15 or 20 years before. And um, when the um, corpse was laid in the grave, uh, after, the, after the priest had officiated at the graveside, the, the men who dug the grave went down. And the coffins in that part of the country, instead of a, of a wood screw, a slot screw, they had a wing nut. So they went down and they undid the wing nuts all round and laid them with, with some um, ceremony on the, on the top of the, of the coffin. This is, a, you know, a nod towards the resurrection. There was a time, too, when it was considered very important that your relative reach the cemetery first, if it so happened that two burials were taking place at the same time. In Gugon, I used to, uh, Dini Cronin and God be good and used to tell me many stories about uh, the customs that they had there. <coughs> and one of them was that if two funerals approaching a graveyard at the same time, it was held that uh, whoever got in first, the second man in would be his servant on the other side, you know, something to that effect. So that if two funerals uh, just uh, noticed each other facing the grave, there would be a race to the gate. See, we'll get in there first. And he said, in one occasion, the two funerals just made the gate at the exact time, and the coffins were being taken out of the two hearses or carts, and they were on their shoulders and just going for the gate. When uh, a, a lady on one side took her shoe off and hit one of the men under the coffin in the head with the heel of her shoe, <laughs> naturally delayed events a little bit, and uh, her husband got in first. I mean, she was going to have him being <laughs> playing second fiddle to somebody. For all eternity, so I mean, she up and did the right thing. Relatives are becoming less involved with the actual carrying of coffins at funerals, although the countryman still prefers the old custom. Personally, I don't like it. I think it's only right and proper that the the sons and relatives should carry their own to the graveyard. I think it's too professional to see 
the guys with the black coats to see the undertaking either marching out in front of the remains or, or under the coffin as the case may be or where he's hanged up in the coffin I think it's I think myself it's exploiting a sad situation by these fellas that's my personal opinion on that Strangely enough we tell many humorous stories about everyone and everything connected with death and it's often said that we Irish are not really gloomy about the subject at all one of this famous character who was a bit fond of the jar was stranded this Saturday night. I will not name the town for obvious reasons. So he had to sleep in a shed that night. And the following morning he was hungry, had a sick head. So what did he do but arrive up to the local undertaker, knock at the door said his mother was dead. Naturally, the undertaker was all concerned, professionally and otherwise, and he invited the character into the house, gave him his breakfast and produced a bottle of whiskey. Anyhow, the morning was gone by and the undertaker wasn't getting the order for the, for the coffin. Oh, yes, to your man. Well, now, what'll I be doing about your mother? <laughs> he says, she's dead with 15 years. <laughs> the Undertaker is very often looked upon as somebody who is morose, gloomy and insensitive. But in reality, he's usually a very human kind of person who performs a vital function in our society. I think I've mentioned on numerous occasions when people say or ask you what your, you know, what do you do or what's your profession... Uh, certainly I say I'm uh, in the garage business I'm in business and if they insist upon pushing me very far I'll eventually say we're uh, funeral undertakers and of course that raises the old sort of sickly grin you know and uh, it, it sometimes has a depressing effect on the whole conversation so that I don't tell them unless I'm asked now, of course your job does not depress you in any no. way in your ordinary life I don't think so I don't think so. Uh, it's a. Some people would like to say it's a vocation, but I, I don't think this is correct. We do the job as best we can, and you know, if we were to get depressed about it, you'd live in a constant state of depression because you're doing it every day, all day, seven days a week, and uh, so. I think we enjoy our job as much as anyone else, and uh, possibly, in our own way, we we. We laugh more outside the job because we, because of what we have to, the way we have to behave inside. No, I don't think undertakers, as a rule, are, are, are you know morose, dour individuals. I find them all very pleasant and nowadays very fine business people. Cremation is becoming more and more widely accepted in Britain, and the nearest crematorium to us is the one at Crossnacrevy in Belfast. Approximately a 1,000 people were cremated there last year, and 27 of them were from the 26 counties. Of the total number cremated, 421 were Presbyterians, 394 Church of Ireland, 86 Methodists, and 18 Roman Catholics. The cost of the actual cremation is £8 for a resident of Belfast, and £10 for outsiders, and there are extra charges for organ music and other incidentals. 
Although the Catholic Church no longer forbids cremation, it's interesting to note that only 18 Catholics were cremated in Ireland last year. If Dublin had a crematorium, maybe a trend might evolve. Death can come in many forms and funeral customs can change. And although the Christian sees the death of a relative or friend as a passage from this world to a very much better one, he still feels an overpowering sense of loss. Professor Ophianatha of Maynooth College. It's really something like a, a tear in a, in a garment and so on and very difficult to replace. And uh, people find it very hard to adjust. It means, I think, almost sometimes beginning a life again. And um, it is a severe shock. Um, of course, people try to just to forget about this and sort of uh, engage in uh, activity. But then, because uh, custom is against that, sometimes that uh, one has to remain sort of quiet and peaceful and uh, and uh, reserved during a period of uh, mourning. This, I suppose, is uh, uh, medieval survival. I think really this wouldn't be the natural attitude in Ireland at all. That in Ireland, death would have been in some way celebrated. And uh, you do find such, of course, traces of that in, uh, even in the funeral uh, customs and in wake customs, that, man- that uh, death was really celebrated by games and so on, and uh, also, of course, prayer. Because, you know, say, even the very drink or the smoke of the pipe, which I, I got myself as a young boy, uh, was meant to remind you of uh, the fact that you should uh, oh, say a prayer for the dead, and so on, when you did get your little drop of uh, porter or your uh, smoke or your bit of snuff. Um, I was uh, amazed to find that this business of cel- the celebration of death uh, uh, survives, uh, you know, let's say in India. I remember um, recently walking down a street uh, in the heart of Bombay and hearing all this uh, music and song and uh, looking around I saw this uh, sort of a cat being carried, carried along with all sorts of flowers on it. I thought first was a celebration of some, uh, some uh, feast, you know, of some god. But no, it was, uh, it was a funeral. Uh, they uh, obviously had faith, you know. They thought that this person had lived a good life and therefore something very wonderful had happened to him and now he was in a better state. And, of course, as Christians, we also should celebrate death in that way. I know friends of mine, two priests, who, when their, when their mother died, instead of, you know, mourning and all that, they sang the Te Deum, that is our great hymn of uh, thanksgiving to God, thanking God for the fact that they had had such a wonderful mother and that now she had, uh, you know, received such a great reward.